documents in the history of the United States was adopted by the Senate and the Congress at that time. So meeting in Philadelphia, they adopted the Declaration of Independence. That independence day. It was an official act that was taken by all 13 American colonies at the time. Here's why. They were declaring independence from somebody. British rule. They were declaring independence from British rule. And now many of us know the most famous lines in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are not the most important words in that document. The most important words were that these united colonies are and of right to be free and independent states. The introductory sentence that the Declaration of Independence um, has got to give us a main purpose to explain what the right to revolution was about, their right to rebellion against British rule. This was a call to all the peoples, a rally to all the troops of the then known, newly found United States of America to rebel against the rule of King George. It was a revolt against the most powerful nation on the earth at the time. The document lists out 27 complaints against King George. And they kind of constitute, this is our right to revolt and to rebel against your rule. History will go on and tell us that the New York City citizens who have been watching about this statue of uh, King George for the years that they had been there went and tore the thing down and all the metal that was here was actually uh, melted down and used for bullets in the continuing war. This is revolution. We reject the authority of King George and the Brits. Before you think I'm waving my American flag a little too high this morning, I want you to follow me real quick. When the people leading the newly formed America had had enough of King George's rule and authority over them, they made a statement saying, We are endowed by our Creator. Made in the image of God. We're independent of your rule. And we declare our independence from your rule. We've been endowed. Y'all know what an endowment is? When you don't, dictionary.com defines it this way support from a permanent source. It's not just support, it's not just a financial gift, but it is uh, an intention that you will always be supported in this way from this source that is trustworthy and can, can continue. That's why we're in colleges and universities. We see the endowments of like 50 families that come together and say, we're going to support this university for the rest of our um, time. And I mean, they're all worth millions and billions of dollars. And so, yeah, I kind of believe that that's going to happen, right? It's often right scholarships behind you. They said, we've been endowed by the Creator. We don't need you. They rebelled against the 
the king in favor of the king of the universe, saying, we don't need you anymore. God Almighty will take care of us. 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, there's times when I would say it's not as helpful for us to just look at what the narrative describes about what the early church did. To take a description of what they did. No, there are times when we actually need a prescription. We need what's prescribed for us. If we're not going to fall into that idealism or some form of legalism, we need a prescription. And so turn with me today to Colossians chapter 4. I just want us to walk through exactly what the Bible calls us to and what we observe in the early church in their lives. Colossians chapter 4, we're just going to read 2, 3, and 4. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Do you have to say amen? All right. The word of God says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. If you have an English standard version like Rapid Red I want you to take those two words, hear me, okay? It's not bad advice. Take those two first words. And put at least a underline or a circle over it, but feel okay to cross out, uh, to uh, cross out, uh, continue steadfastly. And right next to it, devote yourself. This is the exact same word in the New American Standard, in the, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, the NIV, if you have an NLT and others, you'll see it actually says that, devote yourself. The exact same word from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, except this time Paul takes it and he uses it in this present tense imperative, this active voice. So he's saying, I want you to be about this now and forever. This is what you are to do. Then you've got this good translation she's been reading, common English Bible. You just have to keep on praying. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep on praying. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Like I said, sometimes it's not as much to go and look and say, oh, they devoted themselves to prayer. Great. What's the lunch? No, God's word to us, especially devote yourself to prayer. I know it's not the most comfortable conversation, but I'm always careful to point out when there are commands in the text, this is not just a great suggestion, good advice. No, this is a command to be obeyed or disobeyed. It commands us to pray. Don't feel like it? That's okay. Want to just do it. God's word to you and I this morning, I would say literally is don't get weary in prayer, get full attention to it and keep at it. That's what God wants you and I to know today. And, and I have a marker right here that says, like, if I feel like I can, I stop right there. It's a sermon for today. That's God's word to us. All right? Let me repeat it for you. Don't get 
They keep at it. That's all God wants you and I to know today. On the heels of realizing that prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from Him. If I don't, if I don't want His rule, His authority, His ways, His commands, I'm not definitely talking to Him, not taking counsel from Him. And before you think that it's something that, is, that came about after the fall, God created us to worship and then take counsel from Him. Adam and Eve took every counsel. This, there was no sin in the world before they talked with God regularly and God showed them and commanded them and directed them and led them. Am I only just telling you this morning talk to you? So let's just dive into that just a little bit. Paul provides kind of a roadmap for how we should keep on praying. And I'm going to just glitch through this. I don't feel like we have to spend a lot of time. You see, he says, continue steadfastly or devote yourselves in prayer. And here's how he says to do it. Be watchful in it. Do it with thanksgiving. Pray for us to have open doors to the word and to proclaim that word clearly. First point, be watchful in it. This is the polar opposite of what happens to you and I when we try. I had a conversation with Richard this morning. I was trying to get you on blast, brother. He said, man, I was going to pray, and then my mind just wandered off. That's the opposite of watchfulness. For me, I have had people who have literally been praying for me in a moment where the spirit is clearly moving, and they had to say, wake up, because I went to sleep. I went to sleep. I'm sitting there, and it's like, wake up. Now, that's the opposite of being watchful. He said, pray, stay fast, and devote yourself to prayer, and do what? If you go look up at any Greek Bible, any Greek word study, I guarantee you the best definition you're going to find is this. Stay woke. That's what be watching stands for. That word literally means stay woke. This idea of being vigilant in prayer. God's calling us to be vigilant in prayer. Why is it so hard for us to be vigilant in prayer? Take a stab at it. Why is it so hard for us to be watchful in prayer? Not the things I heard. Satan, worldly desires, split. Satan, distractions, yes. All these things. What about this thing? We're stuck for alignment. We're kind of independent. Says, yeah, I'm so self-reliant that I'm a self-made man or woman or whatnot. But the truth is that we all kind of carry those attitudes of independence. And so we just, we have our plans, we have our calendars, we have our ambitions, and we go on like, this is going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. This is what my life is, right? And so what happens is, even though we don't take time with like, take the prayer out of schools, we take the prayer out of our lives. Thanksgiving or with thanksgiving. 
foremost and foremost in thankfulness. He said, be watchful in prayer with an attitude of gratitude for God's grace. Be watchful in prayer with an attitude of gratitude for God's grace. You're self-reliant and independent. This doesn't come easy. You cannot find many things to be thankful for when you kind of do it on your own. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, you study, you got degrees, you work hard, you save up the money, you got in early. I'm t- I don't have any regrets in life, but I was in the cafeteria at the Massachusetts University trying to figure out life. You know, Massachusetts College at the time, I was a staff member. And it was like, man, my mind was just, oh, I wasn't thinking. My story is like, I ran, I was going so far away from like money stuff, okay? So, like, I just repented of the way I worshiped money. So, this dude came to me one day and was like, hey, 2011, hey, buy these bitcoins, they're $3. Just give me like 300 bucks. Okay, just give me like 50 dollars a week. I mean, he was on it. And I'm like, you got your mind. Yes, sir, God and money. Sheesh. I don't even know where I was going with that, but the thing is, it's like, I had an attitude at once where I was very self reliant based on the fact that, like, you should make money, stand over this, spend it as fast as you get this, don't come some more. There's not a lot of thank you, God, for your position in that kind of lifestyle. Problems in your life. So, like, you got even look to be thankful for. It's his fault. Like, why would I be grateful to him? God knows that our hearts need healing from that. He knows that we need grace. And so, he's gracious and he prescribes a cure. And the cure is thanksgiving. Be thankful in your petitions, in your prayers. Be thankful as you're asking for provision and as God provides for you. Be thankful in your problems and even in your persecutions. I've been struck by Philippians. We try to pray to Philippians as elders on the elder retreat here recently. And so you can't get over the fact that he's just calling us to Thanksgiving. The whole thing's about rejoicing. And he's like, I'm, I'm rejoicing even because these few people preach the false preaching so that I can get treated work here and there. I'm so thankful and I'm rejoicing that I can't come to you, but I can send somebody else. I'm rejoicing so much. And he says, you should rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer with Christ. You just be thankful in your prayers, right? In your prayer and supplication. Don't be anxious. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you got something, or if you don't have anything, rejoice and be thankful. That's God's prescription to us. Whenever or whatever, you can pray and be thankful to God. Be grateful to Him in prayer and beyond that. Paul says we should pray for open word. Read it there. He says that God may open to us a door for the word. We want ample opportunities. Pray for us to have more opportunities for the word. Open doors for the word. This morning, I was hoping I had an open door. Right? I'm standing there talking to Dan, and my elders walk in. 
Mormon guys who've been here for five weeks. They walk up and they want to know what's going on. I'm like, hey, you say, I'm sure God has a word for you. <laughs> so, you know, give us an open door for the word, right? I mean, I want there to be ample opportunities. He says, pray for open doors for the word. And here's how he describes the word. He says, to declare the mystery of Christ. So it's not just a word like I want to give a proverb a day or whatever. He you know literally to pray for us to have ample opportunities for the good news about what God has done to reconcile all people to himself in Jesus Christ. You devote yourself to prayer, you devote yourself to praying with thanksgiving and for open doors for the word of God. Paul called the early, early church once to devote themselves to praying that the gospel would advance, not their goals. Dr. Tony Evans says it's not your belief in God that sets you apart as a Christian, it's your commitment to Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. And that's expressed most often, not in what we say, in terms of like, I profess to be a follower of Jesus, but more so like what we proclaim in, this, in, in our, right? The word of God, the gospel of Grace. I think it's okay to pray for a promotion, but we should be praying ten times more for the proclamation of the word. That's what he says. Pray for open doors for the word. Which is where he lands the point. He says, pray for me to proclaim or to declare that word clearly. So the, the roadmap goes, right? Pray, uh, devoted to prayer, watchful in it, thanksgiving, open doors for the word, and for me to proclaim it clearly. Let me point something out to you that I think is worth noting. Paul's writing this from prison. He said in verse 3, on account of which I'm in prison, I am in prison. Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians from jail cell, where he's there because of his relationship and his preaching of Christ, and he's being mistreated based on that, and his words are, pray for me to have protection. Pray for me to be released. Pray for me to get out of here. Is that what he said? He said, pray for me to proclaim the word clearly. Pray for me that I'll be bold enough to tell the word more freely and more fully and to make it plain to, to people, which is what I'm supposed to do anyway. That's what he said. That's what, I'm, that's what I ought to do. If you survey the book of Acts, you look at the early church, read the epistles, you realize this is exactly what the early church prayed like. This is exactly what they did and how they prayed. What is the difference? The biggest difference between you and I and them. What do you think it is? The biggest difference between the early church and us and the way that they prayed and trusted God, what might it be? I think one thing that I have to say is peace. That's what I think it is. Peace. Peace and prosperity. But that's largely what we enjoy. And it's largely the way we're even known as Christians. Maybe the stuff I was reading earlier to introduce this kind of teed it up. You're thinking about the nation that we're in and the uh, Christian values that we may be founded on and so on and so forth. And you think about the peace and prosperity of being an American Christian. 
some prosperity, y'all. <laughs> I wrote, why do you and I kind of wish this sermon was just 10 ways to get our prayer answered? It's hard for me. I read a letter from a pastor in China recently. Here's what he said. We are praying for you guys in America. You have not handled your peace and prosperity as well as you're handling our persecution. John Piper has talked a lot about this subject. In the context of missions, talking about wartime and peacetime, in a book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, you will not know what, the pray- what prayer is for until you know that life is war. It's not peace. But one of the greatest obstacles to praying is that life is just too routinely smooth for many of us. The battlefront is way out there, but here in my bubble of peace and contentment, all's well. He said, life is war. That's not all it is, but it's always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. He said prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the power of darkness in the world. A wartime walkie-talkie, y'all. He goes on to say later that it's not surprising that our prayer malfunctions when we turn it from a wartime walkie-talkie into what he calls the domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort than again. Man, I was so convicted reading that again this week. I picture myself sitting downstairs in the den and, hey, Alexa, can you tell Dad to put the heat down? It's getting, it's getting warm down here. Intercom, are right? you going to some homes that still have them? I said, Alexa, because we don't really use those on the wall anymore, right? It's all something that makes you nice. So it's like, yeah, just keep off some popcorn and bring it down. Literally, that's how we access prayer oftentimes. We don't think about it like a wartime walking talking, but we're calling in help for the advancement of the mission and the kingdom. We're on the front lines in war against the enemy. No, we think about it like, I don't know, man. My kids do better at asking for gifts for Christmas and stuff. Like, you know, we just, no, oh, God, can you do this, bless and be with, and so on and so forth. If we follow the early church's example, our prayer will be about the glory of God spreading across the earth, and we'll desperately want to experience the glory of God more and more. We're gathering our personal lives, individually, corporately, right? And we experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and we desire that for others as well. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If all we ever do is seek God's hand, we might miss His face. Since all we ever do is seek God's hand, we often miss His face. When we seek His face, He's glad and gracious and loves to have His hands open wide to us. Paul could have said, let me out of here. Get me out of here, y'all. Pray that they won't beat me again. That's not what he said. Pray that I'll have more opportunities to do what they're beating me and prisoning me for doing. The pray that I do clearly. That's what I was supposed to do anyway. Jesus taught in the early church model, seeking God in everything, but there's a consistent thread, 
If you want them, email me. Jesus taught us to call on God to exalt his name and to extend his kingdom in the world. Matthew 6, 9. Pray like this, our Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Ventura, as it is in heaven, right? On earth, as it is in heaven. And he called us to call on God to supply us with our necessities. Give us this day, our daily bread. Paul called on God that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus plainly taught us to call on God to vindicate us like we believe he'll do it. This morning, we spent time just briefly looking at the uh, parable of the, the, the widow who just was badgering God. <laughs> and badgering the unrighteous judge. We did that at 9 a.m. this morning as we prayed. Just thought about the fact that, like, Jesus actually says, I'm teaching you this parable because you need to know you can go to God and ask him for whatever you want, whatever you want it. And he'll give it to you. He plainly taught us to call on God as anything. The apostles called on God to save their friends and family. Desire and prayer to God for them, speaking about Israel in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, is that they might be saved, Paul said. They called on God for boldness and proclamation. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. He called them to pray and says, And pray also for me that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What about Acts chapter 4, verse 29? And now, Lord, look at the threat that Jesus is telling the disciples. Don't preach that Jesus and resurrection anymore. Their prayer was, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Likewise, in the same verse, they called on God for signs and wonders. They say, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And they said, and while you stretch out your hand to heal, when signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, this is the same verse. Our issue is that we want power, but we want it without the prayer. You think about all the supernatural things that come through prayer, the supernatural things that came in right there at the early church. The issue is that they were devoted to Christ. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to one another. And so their attitudes and their actions was this humble dependence on God. you got to do it. So I'm going to keep preaching because that's what you just told us we need to do. Go to all the world and preach the gospel. So we're going to keep doing that. And God, show up. Do signs. Do wonders. Word of knowledge. Prophecy. Tongues. Whatever it is. We want you to authenticate this message. But we want the power without the prayer. When's the last time you just badgered God? Paul actually talks about some of those time gifts, right? Some of those supernatural things. He said, just ask for it, and ask for it, and ask for it, and ask for it. We really want to ask for God that way. Yeah, I'm going to 7. I have 35 here. That's seven ways the church has taught and modeled for us what devotion for prayer looks like. Christ called us to call on God that we might not fall into temptation. They called on God that they would do good works. Jesus says, call on God for protection from the evil, evil one. Right? Deliver us from the evil one. And finally, in teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, call on God for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. 
seven minutes and do that and then we'll have James and live up, all right? 